No way. I'm back. Undulate, people! Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, this is the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shan, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tejada. Let's go! Trevor here for the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 34. We are joined by the writer, director, and star of the new Universal Blumhouse feature, Happy Death Day to You. Opening in theaters everywhere February 13th, Christopher Landon and Jessica Roth on the program. All right, let's see what you got. I gotta say, Jessica is just as charming and amazing as the character she portrays in the franchise, and Chris Landon is an absolute creative genius. I hope you have a great time joining us in the speakeasy, hearing about some exclusive secrets and things you might want to watch out for in this new adventure, including an Easter egg so hidden that, well, you gotta listen to find out more. Hear about the plans to make this a trilogy. Learn how some of the biggest and boldest stunts yet were pulled off, where you can visit some of the locations yourself, all spoiler-free. In fact, we think this might even enhance the experience of watching this amazing and fun roller coaster ride of a movie. I believe now we'll take a spin of the wheel of the damned. What do you say? Hey, it's Christopher Landon. Hey, it's Jess Roth. And no, you aren't stuck in a time loop. You're just listening to the Boo Crew. Bye. Wheel of the damned, wheel of the damned. It's time to spin the wheel of the damned. Wheel of the damned, wheel of the damned. It's time to spin the wheel of the damned. We've got a big prize wheel on the desk here with a variety of themes, everything from horror films from different eras, different countries, and genres. We give the wheel a spin, and that will be what we all go and check out. Then we come back and discuss our findings. This is what happened after taping the previous show. All right, it's only our second time spinning the Wheel of the Damned. All right, here we go. This is what we're doing for horror homework this week, guys. Here we go. Round and round and round it goes. Where it stops, I know. Canadian. I can't read it. Canadian! We're going to have some all-dressed chips <laughs> and arrow bars wow. and Canada Drive. <laughs> okay, Canadian horror movies. Should we go first? Yeah, let's go let's first. Go we haven't first. gone first in a while. We saw Jack Brooks' Monster Slayer. Oh, I don't know. Oh, good. I thought you guys, we always like end up picking the I same one. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking. <laughs> Jack, what do you remember? All I know is that my family's dead, and I ran away. It's not healthy to ignore your past. Yeah, this is really good. Yeah, it was. Okay, first of all, I want to say Robert England was in it, and I was able wow. to watch Whoa. most of it. But I got to tell you, this is the second <laughs> attempt we've made over the years of watching Jack Brooks Monster Slayer. It was this Wheel of the Damned segment that, that forced the thing. Oh. Yeah, that Tim couldn't watch it, wow. finally. It's not called Wheel of the Damned for nothing. Right. That's right. <laughs> you were asking, are you, are you just going to turn into Freddy? In yeah. I'm like, no. <laughs> are you sure? I'm like, does yeah. he kind of Even during the like movie, Freddy? yeah. Is he going to turn into Freddy? I'm like, no. <laughs> and you yeah. made it through. I did. I closed my eyes a few times just because he kind of looked like Freddy. <laughs> Don't you think? <laughs> well, he always looks like, oh, yeah, yeah. Did he sound like Freddy? No, he doesn't really sound like Freddy. Did he wear a red sweater? No, he didn't. But he's sure. super goofy in this movie, though. It's a really comedic role. Yeah. As well as a terrifying monster role. Give you a little background on this movie. It had its premiere October 9th, 2007 at the Sit Jess Festival in Spain, one of the biggest fantasy, horror, and sci-fi fests in the world. It was done for a budget of 2.5 million Canadian loonies. The first feature <laughs> from Canadian director John Knotts, who's since gone on to do The Shrine, Goddess of 
Love, Girl House, and most recently 2018's The Cleaning Lady. The U.S. distribution rights were bought at Slamdance Festival by Anchor Bay in 2008, and the crew made like a mid-six-figure deal, and they got a theatrical commitment out of this. So this is the guy's first feature, and funny thing is, I remember this guy because I was in a band in Canada called Brandon Walsh. <laughs> <laughs> Canadians, as he gets. <laughs> and the well, drummers, the drummers, Brandon, Brandon, Jason Priestley is actually from Canada. Yes, well, I knew that. So this is our little He's a hell of a hockey player. So Canadian, in fact, we played on the Tom Green show, which you can watch on YouTube, funnily enough, if you look hard. Our drummer's younger brother hung out with John Knotts and, and all these guys who ended up going on to make this film. When we were doing the band thing, they were all in high school and they would show us what they were working on at band practice. Wow. So we'd sometimes, oh, check us out what Joe's in this week. Oh, look what we're doing. We're being ninjas in the backyard. We're making horror movies or whatever. I totally forgot that that happened until all of a sudden I found out that they went and made this feature film and it's really, really good. (laughs) And what I liked most about it is that they approached it from, I think, where all of us would approach making a horror film, inspired by the great practical effects laid in horror movies of the 80s. So Evil Dead, Basket Case, Dead Alive, this is what they're all bringing to the table. They had great puppets in this movie, one of which that Lauren was talking about. There was no CGI. It was like yep. six to eight people operating this massive puppet that's a key part of the movie. Wow. Just great to watch. It was super fun. It was interesting. The producer of the movie is actually the star of the movie. His name's Trevor Matthews. Now that guy moved to LA and they have a production company and they're making tons of great movies. But anyway, so it was a shot in my hometown. The guy went to my high school school, which I think Earl March Secondary School, shout out. I, I, I don't know any horror <laughs> alumni besides uh, them that uh, had anything to do with the halls at Earl March Secondary School. It was fun, even though Robert England was in it. it was, <laughs> you know, the end was really fun. It's all turned up a notch and it gets very Sam Raimi-esque. Yeah, it paid off in the end. I'm glad that we watched it and I'm glad that I sat through it. See, there you nice. go. Plot synopsis. Jack is this plumber, has anger management issues because he saw his parents being killed by a demon at a young age. So he grows up with this anger and finally gets the chance to avenge their deaths when accidentally summoning more demons. That's it. Oh, man. What more do you need? So I read, and I don't know if you know if this is true, but the radio station that Jack always listens to, 88.7, is an alternative rock station in Windsor, Ontario. Oh, yeah. That is a true fact. The shining jewel of this movie has got to be the practical creature and makeup effects. So done by a team including Alan Cook, who did Del Toro's The Strain, worked on Silent Hill, the Resident Evil franchise, even an episode of Degrassi, the Next Generation, and David Scott, who's behind Jason X, Dawn of the Dead remake, Bride of Chucky, and more. The music adds so much to this and is a huge score composed by Ryan Shore with a 93-piece symphony orchestra he conducted, named one of the top 10 scores of that year by Ain't It Cool News. Ryan also worked on many Star Wars projects, Cabin Fever 2, and tons more. The screenplay was written in the same basement apartment rented by another writer at a different time while they wrote the Todd and the Book of Pure Evil TV series. How's that for a demonic portal of Creativity. John Cannot says they do plan on making a sequel and the story has been done for some time now and they say that it's going to blow people away because they want to raise the bar the second time around. Go see it. It's great. And if you're scared of Freddy like me, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence seal of approval. Yay. Leo? I watched 1980, The Changeling. Within this old house live two residents. One of them is John Russell composer, professor. The other has been dead for over 70 years. Directed by Peter Medic. 
starring George C. Scott and Trish Van Devere, which apparently they were married. I didn't even know he was married to her. Just a quick synopsis here. The movie's about George C. Scott. He's like a movie composer and he's on a family vacation in some icy, snowy part of the world. Who knows? A freak accident takes his family out, like right in front of his eyes. He loses everybody. So he's coping with loss and he has to like, he moves somewhere else and he has to restart his life. He's still working in the movie composer business. So he decides to move into this estate, this huge mansion. So he does so to find inspiration in the process of living there. It's like a classic horror. It's a classic ghost movie, except it's got a twist. It's a slow burn. I loved it. It's got great acting. I don't want to give you any more spoilers out. There are some really cool fun facts about this. The house that they shot in, in some Vancouver street, has like kind of a Victorian look to it. They spent $200,000 and they added a facade to this house to make it look even more Victorian Gothic, like like just more elaborate, which is crazy because $200,000, 1980, 1979, that's a lot of money, Mm. you know? And it's great. Because throughout the movie, you're going room to room to room to room, and you're like, this is creepy. Like, what, what's in that room? What's in this room? What, what are the secrets in this room? The house is worth the price of admission alone, just to watch this movie, just for the house. It's really impressive. Like, I'm often sold on houses in, yeah, <laughs> in movies if yeah. there's a cool house. I mean, I love that fucking Winchester yeah. movie. Dude. I know you do. It's, dude, yeah. the house is like that almost. I'm in. <laughs> it's crazy. I'm already in. It's crazy. Best what, movie I've ever seen, Changeling. What, <laughs> <laughs> what I didn't know also was that this is based on a true story the actual story of this actual movie took place in denver colorado and there's an actual address attached to that actual house and everything it is a true story it happened i guess in the in 68 and lastly this is joshua jackson's first movie what yep mini pacey he was a baby yeah he must have been <laughs> Yeah. Talking dude from Dawson Creek? Yeah. yeah. Dawson's. He owns the creek. Does Spoiler, he, he doesn't own the creek. What? Uh-huh. The title of that show is so bullshit. <laughs> Isn't there a real Dawson Creek? No. Probably, I don't know. I thought it was a real place, too, in Canadian land. Well, it'd be in Canadian. It takes place yeah. in Oh, New there England. is one in, in British Columbia. That's it. There is Dawson. Yeah, but that's, right. it doesn't take place there. No. no it takes no. place in Massachusetts, filmed in North Carolina. Carolina. Mm. That's right. I wow. got I got screwed out of a... Uh... You got screwed by a dude in North Carolina. <laughs> not, yeah. not, I mean, not like that, but... <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. That sounds weird. Listen to this shit. That sounds weird. God. No, I got fucked on a prop. That doesn't sound weird. That sounds worse. Yes, that sounds worse. Like what? Forget it. Forget it. I'm done. Done. All right, who's next? And I wasn't there. (laughs) You were involved. Oh, God. It's getting worse. Or better. I don't know. All right. Who's I, next? I will say the changeling really fucked me up when I saw it as a kid because George C. Scott is so intense. Yeah. He's so both over the top ridiculous and equally as intense. If you like George C. Scott and that style of acting, it's totally worth watching just to watch him. It's a powerhouse performance. So fun fact about George C. Scott, he is one of two people to ever refuse an Academy Award. Oh, what? He oh. refuses Academy Award for Patton. I don't remember his reasoning. I think it's just because he didn't believe in award shows, awarding actors for their craft, that the craft is the craft and you don't need to do it for an adulation. And the only other actor to have ever done that was Marlon Brando. I remember right. that. Yeah, I remember that. Famously as a protest. Where do you keep all these fun facts? I can't even think about what I ate for breakfast this morning, but you're like, this fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> what makes Austin Austin? I know. <laughs> so, yeah. In 1980, yeah. there's a movie called The Formula about a detective and a crooked oil person. They cast George C. Scott as the detective 
and he's such an intense performer. They're like, who the hell can we put up against this guy as the Crooked Oil guy to, you know, give it some weight because Jorsey Scott's just going to roll over everybody. <laughs> so they cast Marlon Brando and it was Marlon Brando's last film until he came out of retirement in 1989 with the Dry White Season, which was just released on Criterion. He shaved his head bald and he put in buck teeth. Because he wanted to play the most evil person in modern times, this crooked oil guy who's just destroying the world without a care, but make him look like just like a lame, non-threatening human. Like the opposite of a Bond villain. Huh. That the real villains aren't what you see in the movies. That was his intent. And Jorsey Scott's intent, and apparently drunk the whole time, and he would walk off the set. <laughs> They'd have to be like, I guess we're not filming today. So, back to Canada. So, Rachel and I watched a classic 80s horror movie, which we didn't realize was Canadian. At least I didn't. I didn't either until we did a little research. 1987's The Gate. There is a passageway to the most evil place you can imagine. A gate behind which the demons wait to take back what was once theirs. Oh, that's oh, Canadian? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's classic. We were afraid you guys were going to watch that. I know. Because wow. I remember seeing that, but that movie messed me up as a kid. Me too. When I first saw it, my friend, and I believe it was my friend Kenny Young, you know, we went to the movie rental place. We're in the horror section and the cover of the gate, everyone look it up if you haven't seen it because it's so awesome. It's, the word gate is carved into like the lawn and there's this demon out coming. We're like, oh yeah, let's get this. And it was after school. It was like three o'clock in the afternoon after school. And we went back to his house and we watched it. The director made it specifically for tweens mm -hmm. before tweens was an audience. That's terrifying yes. for a tween. So, exactly. so we watched it and it fucked us up because it's really <laughs> intense. Wow. Plot summary. It starts with 12-year-old Glenn played by an adorable Stephen Dorff. <laughs> wow. He actually received, just a little fun fact for that, he actually received a Saturn nomination for it as the one of a young actor. He was nominated for Saturn for it, but he didn't get it. But he was so good at it. Aww. Wow. He's not Canadian, but the rest of the cast was Canadian. <laughs> they had a dialect coach on the set to help all the Canadian actors lose their accents. Because really? they wanted it to sound American. And Stephen Dorff was not a Canadian. Everyone else was a local hire. Oh. As far as I know, everyone's local hire. But yeah, so they had a dialect coach for that reason. 12-year-old Glenn, played by Stephen Dorff. It opens with a nightmare. So he's having a clearly a nightmare. He's wandering around his house. Everyone's gone. He looks out his back window and the bolt of lightning comes down and strikes a tree. It's this giant tree in his backyard. It's got a treehouse in it. It tips over and it's like the vibe and everything's really scary. You're like in a nightmare and he's startled by this. And then he wakes up and he hears noises in his backyard and he goes to look out the window and there's workmen chopping up the tree. It happened in the dream and it, I guess it happened in real life. So he goes out and hangs out in the backyard. They pull the tree away and they leave this giant hole in the ground. Between him, his best friend Terry, his sister and his sister's friends, they accidentally through a series of haphazard events... They unwittingly unlock a portal to hell <laughs> that could lead to the destruction of all humanity. And the reason we know this is because Terry realizes that this is what they've done by listening to a metal album in his room, jumping up and down with all the great Iron Maiden posters behind him in his, in his room. And he's listening to the lyrics and he's like, holy shit, wait a minute. And then he looks at the booklet that comes with the LP and he starts going and reading through. He's like, oh my God, this is like everything we've done. And they realize that they need to close the portal to hell. That's like the beginning of the movie and it just goes off from there. That movie made me terrified of metal. <laughs> like literally. Right? That was what was it at the tail end of the satanic panic kind of yeah. stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. There's nothing scarier than metal and Satan. 
Well, now it rocks, but. <laughs> so this is pre-CGI. So the movie's got a great combination of practical effects, really great practical effects, stop motion effects, amazing stop motion, force perspective. They had a great visual effects team. And one of the main um, lead visual effects members was Randy Cook. And Randy Cook worked on Ghostbusters. He worked on The Thing. He worked wow. on Lord of the Rings. He's like very multi-talented. Ones. And actually the director said he only would have made this movie only if he found the right visual effects person to work with. And Randy Cook was that person. By teaming up, they were able to make the classic The Gate. All those great little demons and creatures yeah. that are running around. And the stop motion is top notch. It's Ray Harryhausen, Phil Tippett level stop motion, like real character driven stop motion animation, which you don't see anymore. It just makes everything come so alive in a, in a weird way. It was, I think I may have said this before on the podcast, but there's a great quote where someone said, uh, stop motion, practical effects, look fake but feel real and cgi looks real but feels fake pg-13 it's uh it's kids it pushes, horror yeah it definitely pushes the limits yeah of, like what kind of can get creepy in you <laughs> yeah, yeah right. i mean there's yeah. bible verses in this they take it to that you know as much as they can that's what the director said he tried to push as much as they could for pg-13 the oh. gate y'all two canadian films Made by the same three filmmakers, Summer of 84 and Turbo Kid, both directed by Francois Samar and Ock Winsell, Johan Carl Winsell. The Cape May Chronicle received a letter from an individual calling themselves the Cape May Slayer. There's a serial killer on the What else could possibly be this exciting? I will destroy you with my Turbo Glove, the ultimate weapon against the robot threat. But to be a true hero, you have to save your girlfriend. Hey, what's that in your head? It's a, it's, it's a comic book. What's it about? It's about a turbo rider. <gasps> That's rad. Number four is a serial killer movie, and Turbo Kid is a 1980s futuristic movie set in 1997. Oh, wow. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. With the antagonist, the great Michael Ironside, Woo-hoo. who's like the 80s bad guy. And he plays a real bad guy named Zeus, and he's got a crew of bad guys. And guess what? Spoiler alert. <laughs> Zeus, Michael Ironside, the robot. Whoa! Whoa. <laughs> I love it already. That does sound Corporate awesome. Robot. Wow. Nice. You see that coming? No. Took me blindside. Oh, shit. <laughs> exactly. They're, they're young filmmakers and super DIY. Both those films are just have a wild spirit about it. Very punk rock. And I'm looking forward to what they do next. I like the artwork for the Summer of 84. Yeah, we started watching. Lauren and I started watching Summer of 84. We haven't made it through it yet, but it was like really great. Yeah. the milk carton artwork? Yeah. 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 When did Turbo Kid come out? Like four years ago. So it was four years ago. Set in the 80s, but the 80s version of the future of the 90s. Like um, <laughs> yeah. like Escape from New York style. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. An alternative 1997 post-apocalyptic film, but set in the 80s. The protagonist has a BMX bike. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's super fun. Universe they built. Kind of Mad Maxi. Michael Einstein was in Scanners. Another great Canadian American film. Nightmare. Space Hunters in the Forbidden Zone. The Falcon and the Snowman, Top Gun, Total Recall. Yeah. Yeah, he was great in Total Highlander Recall. Highlander 2. Oh, yeah. Remember that? He was in the bug Storm, one. Uh, Storm, Starship, Starship Troopers. Starship Troopers. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah, he played like the hard, the hard ass. Mark Anasai, he's just like a quintessential tough guy. He's one of those old school Hollywood character actors. I don't know who that is today. 
I mean, it's still Michael who's Ironside. The mo- who's the moderate? <laughs> <laughs> who's the Michael Ironside of 2019? I don't know. Maybe like a Michael Shannon. He can, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, he's a yeah, yeah. shape of water. He kind of has that. Interesting. He was yeah. also the Iceman, the serial killer. Yeah, because yeah. Michael Ironside also has like a heart, a lot of heart to him too. He can yeah. be good, but then he also be evil. So I think they have that depth of the darkness. All right. We're going to do it the scan away. I'm going to suck your brain dry. This is the Boo Crew Podcast. Dude. Help. I am tripping right now. I feel like I've totally lived through this day already. Deja vu? Yes. The day reset when you died, right? Yeah. I might be able to help with that. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio are two of the most exciting and vibrant talents in the industry. She is an actress who began stealing the show in theater and TV projects, including CW's Gossip Girl and movies like the Oscar-nominated and Golden Globe award-winning musical La La Land. Most recently starred in January 2018's Forever My Girl. It was with her lead role of Tree in 2017's groundbreaking dark comedy slasher flick Happy Death Day that the world fell in love with this woman's talent as it was on display in full force. She appeared in almost every frame of the film, and that gave her a chance to showcase her skills as a brilliant improviser with comedic chops that we perhaps haven't seen since the days of old Hollywood, flawlessly handling all the bumps, bruises, wins, losses, and changes that haven't been seen in a character before in a horror film, much less a film of any genre, with infallible charm. We even died with her like 14 times. He is a writer and director who single-handedly is reinvigorating film and the horror genre that we love so much, bringing into it passion, adventure, forging new paths to the future with subtle winks to nostalgia that creates something so exciting and fresh. His films from Disturbia to almost every entry of the sea-changing Paranormal Activity franchise to Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse and the original Happy Death Day, he makes movies that are simply put, exhilarating to experience. Together, their new film is no exception. The much-anticipated sequel to Happy Death Day is in theaters everywhere February 13th. Seriously, get ready for the ride of your life. We are honored to welcome the writer-director and the star of the new Universal Blumhouse film Happy Death Day to you, Chris Landon and Jessica Roth. Follow us around and give us introductions all the time. Like. Yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for being here and congratulations on this incredible adventure. Thank you. Thank you for having us. This movie is going to light up theaters. As much as it still retains its roots in horror, it has this whimsy that just leaves you beaming when you watch it. And as such huge fans of the first film, I think it's safe to say it was everything we wanted and nothing we were expecting, which was pure magic to watch. And Jessica, you absolutely killed it. What is that secret recipe that creates the enchantment of this franchise for the audience? The first and most important ingredient, I think, is Chris Landon, to be totally honest. He is our fearless leader he is kind he is intelligent he is darkly and very fucked uply funny and just kind of a breath of fresh air and i've worked with a number of directors and he's one of my favorite humans i've ever worked with he's become one of my best friends and is just a true artist and he enables people to do better work than they could have ever dreamed that's every single person every single actor on our set and everyone from our dp to the set pas he puts everybody in a position to succeed and i think that that's one of the reasons the film works so well is because everybody just had an incredible time making 
making it. So I bring Jessica around <laughs> for that reason. Uh, now you know. For me, I think the we're gonna have a love fest for a yeah, moment. So so happen. bear with us. But it's her. It's Jess. This character. It's so difficult to pull this off. I mean, the number of hats that she's wearing and the fact that she's able to make it look effortless and she carries the whole movie. And like you said, she's in every frame of the first movie. She's carrying the second movie. The tone, being able to shift around in tone and still make the movie feel cohesive. That's a big deal. And it's all because of her performance. Where did the idea for the movie come from? What's the genesis of this? The first movie was actually written by a guy named Scott Lobdell. And way back in the day, I was hired to rewrite the script for Universal. This was a long time ago, and there was another director attached. I think they were in early prep on the movie, and then it fell apart. I was really bummed out that it didn't happen. And then, I think it was like eight years later, I was having lunch with the producer of the project, and I said, whatever happened to that movie? And she said, it's just sitting on a shelf, I guess, collecting dust. And I was like, that's weird. So I like went into my computer, dug up an old file, and I sent it to Jason Blum. Because I knew he had his deal at Universal and I said, hey, you should read this. And then, I mean, not even a day later, he called and he's like, oh, we're making this. And then it was like that. It just happened so fast. We just kind of went from languishing to suddenly being in production. It was a crazy little journey. It was meant to be. It was meant to be. It was the right time. It was the right time. That's (laughs) the crazy thing is that like somebody else is going to direct it. And I would have been so bummed. <laughs> and then somebody else would have been in it. And I would have it's also true. been <laughs> But also, I think it's so worth noting that who knows what would have happened if that first, not even first iteration, but that version of it had happened. But such an important part of this film franchise now we get to call it is Mm -hmm. the humor and the comedy and i think that balancing the horror and the comedy and now the sci-fi and the heart and the drama is such a difficult thing to do and something that chris really focused on and enabled us to do and it's one of my favorite parts of the film because it would be really easy to make a very self-serious version of this movie which i just i wouldn't want to watch it personally but maybe other people would and it's super fun to watch it the second time it's so enjoyable second yeah. third fourth yeah, yeah. try Just... watching it 500 times because <laughs> that's what i've done not by choice <laughs> you're cursed chris what was your history with blumhouse how did you start into that world with the paranormal activity movies i'm assuming the second one was your first foray with them yeah i had actually met jason blum prior to that and had worked on a script for him it was paranormal 2 that really kind of solidified our relationship He's my work husband. (laughs) (laughs) And and you just, you you wrote that one, right? I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And kept writing them. (laughs) (laughs) You seem to have a knack for, because the concept of Happy Death Day is so unique. I mean, it's part of this subgenre of time loops, right? Yeah. But the movie is its own sort of story winds up perfectly. So my question is about the, how do you come up with a sequel for that? Were there ideas that happened on the first movie that you're like, ooh, if we ever did a sequel? I honestly never thought about a sequel, especially while we were making this one. Because first of all, it's Blumhouse, so you have, it's a limited budget with a crazy schedule. And so you don't have time to breathe while we're making these. And nobody even asked about a sequel. That was the funny part. Like, we all felt really confident about Mm -hmm. the movie and thought, like, we made something special. But no one ever said, hey, like, have you thought about a sequel? And one day I was in, I was in the editing room and I was watching a scene with the character of Ryan, who's the roommate who keeps barging into the room. And I remember thinking, it'd be kind of funny if it was all his fault. Genius. But I think the guiding principle behind making a sequel was I did not want to make 
the same movie twice. Mm -hmm. And so it was all about how can I just completely lean into the best parts of the first movie, but not rehash and not drag us through a lazy sequel. And so this idea just kind of happened in my brain. And then one of the first people I called was Jess. <laughs> and I was like, I think I have a pretty cool idea. And um, I told him he was completely insane, but that he was the only person I knew who could pull it off. And we ended up all signing on to a film where a script didn't exist, just off of the faith and trust and believing in Chris's vision. And I couldn't, the sequel turned out beyond my wildest dreams. It's exactly what he told me it would be, but unlike anything I could have ever imagined, which was <laughs> so much fun to watch it come to life um, and to bring it to life. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. As an audience member as well, watching it unfold on yeah. screen and realize where you're taking this was just so fun. You know, the kind where you look to your left and your right and the other audience members and you're like, you're, you're laughing at the same things and you're, it's just such a communal experience as the first one was as well. But this one is just so fun to watch those reveals happening with an audience as well. It's okay. so well, cool. I've seen the number two, did you say sci-fi element? There is. There is. <laughs> <laughs> There is a big sci-fi element. And the crazy thing about as I was writing this one, it's a funny thing when you start to discover that you somehow sort of like subconsciously planted Easter eggs in your own movie that mm. you didn't see. There's a, a really cool Mondo Back to the Future poster that's in yes. Carter's yeah. dorm room. And it is literally it's the backdrop for Tree's wake up every day. And that was sort of the key to unlocking the sequel. There's so much that I owe to to both Back to the Future and and Weird Science, which sounds strange. <laughs> I don't know. It's Kelly LeBrock. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was like this, this sort of like cool thing that was hiding in plain sight. There's so, a cool uh, Repo Man poster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I populated. I, I always. That. I'm like, I've never seen that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's yeah. badass. I populated that set with movies that I love. And also because I wanted Carter to be a big movie buff. And so there's, you know, there's also a They Live poster in there. And there's a Mystery Science Theater poster in there. He's got good taste. <laughs> <laughs> and you always like Repo Man. I love that movie. Oh, it's yeah. awesome. So we love props over here at the Boo Crew. <laughs> I <laughs> noticed. <laughs> <laughs> what did you guys keep? Or did you guys keep anything from either movie? I have some Dumpster Funk t-shirts. <laughs> and I have, as people who have seen the sequel will understand I have one from the first movie and I have one from the second movie. I burnt the sparkle top and the leggings. <laughs> no, I didn't really, but those can go away. I don't think I even got a baby mask. We were talking about this that like we got robbed. They, won't, they won't let us keep anything. Um, but I mean it's I, I get it. They we, have to maybe it will end up in like a box in the arc lighter or in your house. Yeah, exactly. Well that's the funny thing. Is that actually when I said that nobody ever talked to us about a sequel, the only person that ever mentioned a sequel, I think it was like art department and props because they were like, well, in case we make a sequel and they like close their stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. So they wouldn't let us have anything because they thought if we ever need it again. And there you are. Recreate. How was that painfully recreating the dorm room, for instance, that is such an iconic 
setting in the franchise. Did you have to really go back and frame by frame, like, oh, we got to oh, put yeah. this crease here, everything? Oh my we, gosh, I can't imagine. It was a continuity night. <laughs> <laughs> because it wasn't, I mean, it was everything. It was rebuilding, you know, all of our sets. It was returning to all of our locations, you know, background. where... Backgrounds. Matching background. We had to find the same background people and cross our fingers that they look the same, then put Whoa. them in the same clothes. Weather, probably, or could you Weather. do it in post? Weather, or, yeah. Like grass. Grass was different. Like, you know, it's like, what do you do? <laughs> so it was a lot of, there were so many moving parts. And again, hats off to our amazing crew who worked so hard yeah. to try to make everything work again. And who really did. I think they really pulled it off. But it was funny because before we would start certain shots or frames, someone would frame frantically run up to me with a freeze frame picture on their phone they had pulled from a monitor and they were like okay wait the strap was four ways over here and like this person was three steps behind you and you could just see the panic in their eyes but once we once we got a couple weeks into production it didn't get easier but it kind of got easier (laughs) you knew what to expect so so there were some sets you guys had to recreate right like the hospital scene well the hospital was the worst one that was the worst one because it's an old hospital in New Orleans it's haunted for it's, sure it's really haunted. yeah it's definitely haunted. it's super haunted but did anyways, anything creepy yeah. happen there just yes. just being there things kept on it was the only location we were at where like even just small things but things kept on going wrong by the time we left we were ready to be out yeah <laughs> nothing super scary but no but just like yeah. a bad place we filmed a lot of the first movie there you know i had to go back to start kind of doing the sort of like preliminary tech scouts and looking at locations and just checking in on them and I go into this hospital and they gutted it. They just tore everything out. It was a shell. So I was like, okay, we're going to rebuild it. So we had to rebuild the inside of that hospital to look exactly the way that it did before. And again, we had no money. So it was like, oh, great. That was tough. But, but again, they did such a good job that in the sequel where we shot a lot of new stuff, I was able to drop footage two moments from the first movie into the existing scenes. Oh, cool. you can't tell. You can't tell because we're still playing in the same kind of realm. So yeah. It was really yeah. cool that we were able to actually do that and have it not stand out. There's like three or four shots in the movie that mm-hmm. are from the first movie. Please oh tell God. me it's going to be on a like deleted scene where I can like see see the we'll yeah. do like oh, that be cool that be yeah. cool. Yeah, we should do that. And now I'm interested in what you said about the shirt, the dumpster funk shirt. Is there something yes, to watch with are, the shirts? There are well, not just the shirts. I don't want to give anything away, but in the second film uh-huh. Once the true plot is revealed, there are a lot of things you should look out for because things are slightly different. Interesting. Um, and one of them being the shirt. The shirt is amazing. There's one. There's one that I, it's almost like I want to do like a Willy Wonka like <laughs> prize <laughs> because it's so almost impossible to catch, but yeah. so cool. It's so if someone good. catches it, it's, so it's good. amazing. So I'm going to wait. I also think we could get sued for it. So that's yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I should. Really you don't want a lawyer to be the person to find <laughs> no. it. No, yeah, exactly, right? because it was one of those things where like we didn't tell anybody that we were even doing it because we didn't want to get in trouble for it. And so sorry. It's so good though. It's but it's so it's so it's, it's so perfect. hidden. It's so hidden that it's, good it's, luck. That's it. We're going again. <laughs> Every lawyer is going to be like watching the movie. Yeah, exactly. We're going to find it and sue them. <laughs> um, anyways. 
it was in good fun. Oh man, Jessica, I gotta say the emotional arc of Tree's character in this sequel, in particular, you take it to just insane places. It's stunning and it's extremely amplified. And this film has so much heart at its core. Talk a bit about the challenge as an actress to achieve that growth for the character the second time around. You have some very emotional scenes. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, we've talked about this a little bit, but it's such an honor playing Tree. And the first film, we get to know her so well that even though I was nervous to jump into the sequel because I was worried I'd like mess it up or do things Tree didn't do and we were shooting it a good year and a half after we had shot the first one, she was so fully developed and breathing and her own, like she existed on her own accord and I just had to meet her halfway. And so even though we were putting her in different circumstances, it's still the same girl. And that's one of the things that's so cool about this movie is we get to take a final girl and put her in a different genre and mess it around and move it around. When Chris told me about this arc that I was like, oh, I have to do this movie. I have to do this film because the emotional arc, we get to learn so much more about Tree. We get to see her in such a different light. She still has a lot of growing to do, which I think when you end the first film, you don't think that as the audience, everyone's like, oh, cool. She's evolved. She can go on and live her life. And without giving anything else away, I'll just say Tree has some more inner demons she has to deal with. And I connected very, very personally with the material. I worked with a coach on it a lot, but also we had the benefit of having rehearsal time. And Chris and I, by this time, know each other so well that I know he knows what I'm capable of. And I know he'll push me until I get there. And that when I get in my head and I freak myself out, He'll pull me back. And so that was a huge part of filming those scenes was just knowing he was there and that he had my back. Well, you know, there's this uh, genius in the writing and in the acting where you meet Tree. And honestly, I didn't like Tree. Yeah. In the beginning, I hated you sh- Tree. You shouldn't like, like Tree. the fuck is what you know? And I thought this is going to be the same character throughout the whole movie. And then it's like, nope, she evolves. Mm-hmm. And then you get through those scenes where it's like pulling on the heartstrings. And it's like, oh man, this is, did not expect that in a horror movie. Putting it all together, it's like it works, and it works so well. And there is only one tree. Yeah. Jessica, there's no other tree. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. And that was something that felt so important to us about tree is we needed a girl who could change over the course of dying 11 times. Because like, if you put Danielle in that situation, it would take Danielle a couple more times maybe to evolve. Someone someone like Danielle. Whereas, you know, we made a very conscious decision that, oh, yes, she is narcissistic she is self-centered she's kind of a bit she's very self-involved but it's because she was hurt and it's because she's protecting herself and she's built these walls then once you start peeling back the layers you realize there's this really smart funny totally dorky badass girl underneath we worked really hard to layer all of that in there so that you could find it as the story progressed one of the things that i loved about the first movie Again, is Jessica's, uh, the way she brings humor to the role. And one of the lines that she famously, or allegedly improvised, was the subway <laughs> line, right? <Yeah. laughs> Which is, who takes their first date to subway? It's not like you have a foot long. Um, <laughs> were there any moments from this new one where you let her roll with something like that? Yeah, I mean, you, like, that's the point. You know? like, <laughs> we had a few, especially in her quad walk. Okay. Yeah. The um, new walk of the shame. new the new right. walk of shame, <laughs> um, which we're kind of calling the walk of rage. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
She just definitely threw out a couple winners. That, 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 were, that was a lot of fun. But yeah, I mean, that's that's one of my favorite things about working with Jess and working with all of our actors, mm-hmm. frankly, in this movie is that they're all really gifted, smart people. And so they bring so much to their characters. And so it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's great. I mean, I love to write this stuff and I try to crank out as many good sort of scares and jokes as I can. But the joy of making these movies for me is getting to see what they do and how they surprise me. All right. What about Rachel with Dean Bronson oh. in the office? Oh was that God. was that just go and see what happens? That was that was <laughs> so a, funny. That was a combo of like a lot of like blocked and stage stuff with specifics, but then also yeah, letting the two of them. <laughs> have at it and right they're, and they're it's both so just funny. really funny it's people hilarious. so and it, you could just i mean between takes they were cracking up like they were having such a good time so it was, <laughs> it was that was a fun set sequence to do watching dean those scenes were funny it reminded me of like those 80s uh yeah call, like yeah. animal house yeah like, exactly yeah. he's the arch dean like, right, right. Like, very john Hughesy. yeah <laughs> he's that guy that's a big thing for me too and i think in terms of at least my filmmaking style is uh i feel like i'm constantly trying to recreate or interpret the movies that I loved as a kid Mm. you know and so you can look at the stuff that I've made and you see bits and pieces of things I think but I think that's what we all do ultimately you know it's sort of you're trying to recapture this yeah I love Scout's Guide that's a great one. And that's a Thanks. lot of that's genres put into one. That's a yeah. very unique film, though. Yeah, because I made like a hard R, gory, zombie Goonies movie. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, that nobody saw but um, you. Um, I watched it with my mom. And <laughs> the, the moment where they're escaping from the house after they got the diary and oh, something no. happens oh, you with someone. Say it. Oh, okay. Oh, which actor is it who grabs onto the. Ty Sheridan. Ty Sheridan grabs onto the zombie's dick and it's snaps my mother my mother started laughing so hard she was crying and we had to pause the film but the, it was so funny talking to her about it afterwards because she was like i don't know how much of it was i mean a lot of it was the movie but a lot of it was also because i knew chris and i knew his humor and i could just see him like cackling as he was making that film and it's yeah. so true that i think these movies are just so but you super funny and i like laugh out loud funny yeah thank you. so good thank you that Painful. scene was outrageous it was yeah. it was i tried to go as far as i could the funny part is and i think it's the part that everybody forgets is that at some point very early in the process i am probably sitting in a coffee shop writing this Shit. <laughs> and and what I don't realize it, it did I didn't realize it until I was sitting in a coffee shop one day writing and this total stranger this British woman she was walking past me and she just gently placed her hand on my shoulder and she looked me in the eye and she goes you realize you look crazy <laughs> <laughs> I, I must look because I, I don't say the dialogue out loud, but I know I'm making the expressions oh, of wow. all the characters while I'm writing. Yeah. So I'm like, OK. <laughs> Speaking of facial expressions, watching Jessica on screen, man, this is like the ultimate treat. <laughs> she has the best facial expressions yes. for the whole yeah. movie. Both movies, both movies. It's yeah. just like, man, I'm like, how did you go about that? Like, Chris is directing, but you're like, okay, now we gotta look goofy, now you gotta look pissed, now you gotta look at you. Know, was it natural to you? Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, up until I met Chris Landon, a lot of times people will tell me like, oh, well, that was really, really good, but could you like tone it down, make it more mumblecore. Could you just like, you're doing a lot with your face. It's very expressive. And so I've been told almost my whole career that I was too 
fake. What? And then I found someone <laughs> who thought that part thought of me was, was beautiful. <laughs> but, but also, I think it. I'm it, a size queen. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> but it it also helps. I think that in this film, the situations are so extreme, and right. because we have this. Comedy, horror, now sci-fi, hybrid. It gives us almost a get-out-of-jail-free card with some of the things we can get away with because you buy it. Because these, of course she would be making that face. Because the situations are so insane. Of course she would be that pissed. Of course she would be that happy, that sad, that maniacally laughing. But I do have to say, Chris does, when he's editing, find the worst face I'm making and take a <laughs> screenshot of it and send it to me. Of course. Um, you, you do edit a lot of the editing. I work with an editor. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He does. But I'm there every day and I do that almost <laughs> daily. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. It's just how wide can I open my mouth? Like, that's the majority of it. Do you guys remember the first horror movie that you guys saw and how it impacted you? Oh, 100%. The first movie I, or thing that I saw that scared me is my parents were watching Star Trek and it was one of the ones where. Someone got taken over by a robot or like there was something. I just I don't remember what happened. Was it Wrath of Khan? Was it a worm? Maybe it was terrifying. (laughs) Whatever it was. I just remember I wasn't supposed to be watching it and it was aliens and it freaked me out. But the very first scary, scary movie I saw, I went to a sleepover when I was in elementary school and they watched Scream. And I know what you did last summer and we were not supposed to be watching it. And it was in the day of VHSs. So the movies ended and it went to static. Oh, yeah. Like the snow. Yeah. And everybody else was asleep. And I was sitting there in my sleeping bag, just shaking. And I, oh, no. I didn't sleep that whole night because I was just staring at the TV. I was sure that something was going to come and get me if I went to bed. So I just didn't. How about opening scene of Scream? It's pretty intense. It's really it's intense. Yeah. The first scary movie that I saw, I was not supposed to see. My parents were watching it in their room. And I snuck into their bedroom. And I was probably about four. And it was Psycho. Wow. Um, and that definitely scarred me for life. I'm the product of like a classic 80s style divorce. And so my dad started to let my sister and I watch horror movies at a not a good age. So probably around six. Wow. And I'm talking like five horror movies a weekend. Oh, wow. <laughs> thing. Yeah, we were, we were hardcore. That was he fans. a fan or did he, he just let you guys? Fan. Oh, wow. He was a huge fan. He loved horror movies. And it's funny because he, my dad, you know, worked in television and he was like sort of had this very kind of family guy reputation and persona and so like he could never do anything dark and so I've always kind of felt like my career is sort of like a this sort of alter ego of his yeah, yeah. that's cool that's so cool but yeah we, we watched horror movies every single weekend and it didn't stop I mean I still do it so <laughs> I love your work because you have such a love for comedy and horror and I feel like those two genres go hand in hand just by getting someone to react getting someone to laugh and getting someone also to have a scare is such a talent to have and I think you do that so well thank you and I hope you keep on doing it i I hope so too i hope people like that yeah i love it i always Mm -hmm. say it's like you know you get the best of both worlds is there plans for more well i don't know we'll see how this one goes yeah buy tickets (laughs) (laughs) right now we'd like to make one more i want this to be a trilogy i have the idea for the third one good (laughs) you could never guess you gotta make it a western (laughs) no by the way i will i will figure out a way to do to make a nod to that but um No, but I have the idea and I really want to do it, but I just don't know if we're going to be able to. I have a good feeling you'll be able to. <laughs> well, there's one, because the thing that strikes me is, because I'm a big fan of the time loop 
subgenre. And I don't know if there's ever been a sequel. So one thing is to make a successful sequel is, I'm sure, the, a lot of challenge inside of that. But I guess my first question is, is, I was wondering if you looked at any other time loop sort of storylines to kind of see what's been done, what hadn't been done for inspiration. You know, it's funny. I do the opposite when I'm making a film. I try to turn away from anything that might feel similar to whatever it is that I'm doing for mm -hmm. fear of it sort of invading my psyche and kind of crushing ideas that I may have. I generally know a lot of this stuff fairly well. Like I, I'm fairly versed in movies and I look for inspiration outside of whatever genre I'm working in, which is kind of weird, but... So no, I didn't even go back. Like I didn't want to watch Bill Murray and Groundhog Day. I just knew that that was a bad idea for me. I, I got a question away. for Austin. Besides <laughs> Groundhog Day, what's the other time? Oh my God. Oh, there's, 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 there's so many. Yeah. yeah. Like, Edge of Tomorrow. Oh. Yeah. yeah. That's the yeah. Other which is a great one. Which yeah. is a really good None one. None of them have movie. had sequels. So what's a genre? Which is interesting. So I think, yes, yeah, it's a, a subgenre. Source Code with Jake yeah. Gyllenhaal. So there's three. Is My Science Project one? Looper? Kind of. Kind of? I mean, it's it's in there it's in there the show russian doll that just came out on netflix okay, right, is totally right. yeah it, but it's his own separate thing that's so what's great like, before, is that they, what was the drama before i mm, fall before, oh, I, before fall. I fall before i fall yeah. but there's also been like years ago. there's been like a christmas time loop movie there right. there've been a but ton like of these joke, you like you don't know who bill Murray is in a in the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then there's a so my understanding is it all started with a short story in 1973 called 1201 that was made into an oscar nominated short film in 1990 and that's the first filmic version of a time loop story. Huh. The guy who wrote the short story, whose name is escaping me at the moment, starts with an L. He wrote a sequel years later. He wrote a sequel called 1202. I haven't read the sequel, but as far as I know, it's the only sequel before Happy Death Day to You, the only time loop sequel. Oh. <laughs> Which it always seemed to me like what a tricky thing to try and redo mm -hmm. this thing. Because <laughs> it is a sequel into itself. Right. It, is, it is a loop. Well, that was the challenge of making this movie. We couldn't do the same thing again because you were already trying everybody's patience the first time around. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's work to be in a time loop movie because you have to endure repetition. It's part of the DNA of those movies. And so making a second one, my first thought was like, I can't put people through that. They will run out of the theater. So that but was a big challenge. You worked through that feeling. I did. I powered through it. <laughs> <laughs> but And that's what I think it works. I think the, the genre switching or inclusion, because there's still horror mm -hmm. elements. I think that certainly helps. But when the sequel was announced, I don't know about you guys, but I was thinking, well, how are they going to do it? Because Tree, like we said earlier, Tree already has this full, complete arc. And like, where else is there to go? Again, without ruining anything, I think you guys really took it somewhere unexpected. Every turn was exciting. Every reboot was like, wow, what's going to happen now? <laughs> like the greatest thing, the greatest thing I think you can do in a movie is now what? Yeah. Like you're so invested. You're like, now what? And this movie was just that from beginning to end. Thank you. Well done. Thank well, you, guys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the stunts in this movie are even are they bigger. Insane? Oh, and God. the deaths are like huge. <laughs> it's crazy. How much of that is you doing stunts? Who's your stunt? I have an incredible, incredible stunt double. Her name is Kelly. She was in Cirque du Soleil for 11 years. Wow. Not surprisingly, she is the most badass human being I've ever met. She's pretty awesome. Um, she's so... And she's kind and generous. And the thing that I really loved working with her on these films is that 
she would do the crazy things that I was not allowed to do <laughs> and probably would have been way too chicken to do like the seven story free fall drop, Jeez. which she she did. She technically fell nine stories. They caught her in the last two, but seven Whoa. of those stories were it was a complete free fall. And I think they told us that she could only physically do it like five times because it's just so intense on your body. And she nailed it the first two so yeah. then she didn't have to do it anymore she would do things like that but then anytime there was an opportunity or it was safe enough for me to do it she would not only show me how to safely do it but show me how to convincingly do it hmm. so how to maneuver my body to really sell the punch or the hit or the fall or to look like i was running really quickly with my hands handcuffed behind my back which is incredibly oh, let's talk about that do. one for a second <laughs> let's talk about that one for a second because you have to understand not only running, but like Jess did a stunt where she jumped off of a, we had a platform that simulated a rooftop and then there were fairly high up though. Like with, four with, or five with, foot. With pads below. But she had to run off of that with her hands handcuffed behind her back. Looking so, behind me. Looking behind her. So you he have to imagine a like of what, a, what a mind fuck that is to yeah. like yeah. be running and not see where you're going and not be able to break your fall and to know that you just have to trust that you're falling into something soft enough that's not going to hurt you. You know, like yeah. it's, it's intense. <laughs> it's yeah, intense. It's, and everyone's like, that sounds fun. And then you get there like, that's not fun. That's impossible. <laughs> um, the biggest fear comes before that. Yeah, when you're running down the hallways with your hands, yeah, it's like, oh man, please tell me that was a stunt double because it's like my biggest fear is like that I would trip mm. and hit, <laughs> hit you know, face yeah. plan. Like, oh, no, is no. there a screenshot of that? No. <laughs> please tell me it didn't happen. Maybe that happened. Oh no! <laughs> but I always felt incredibly safe and taken care of. Our head stunt guy, Mark Rayner, is just—he was in Mad Max. Oh like, wow! He was in the wow. crazy sequence in the beginning, and he is. He's Australian and he's so nice, but then he does these like badass yeah. ninja all, moves. All Aussies are like, like you have all these like, there's like a whole clan of like Aussie stunt guys yeah. and they're all the nicest people in the world and they're all just like jacked. Like they just don't they fear nothing. Yeah, they really fear. You know what I mean? Like they just grab the Grim Reaper's scythe and they crack it over their knee. They're like, We're not worried. It's so it's so, it's so freaky. Funny. My favorite one we filmed was definitely the skydiving one. Yes, in this I film. love that. And it was Classic. an addition. It was okay. a reshoot Expe- and an addition. And we did it in two parts. And the first part I just got to do like a trust fall. And the second part they had to build like a dunk tank for me because I drop through frame and I can't wear a harness. I'm not wearing a harness. So they just would like pull me up and I would try to hold my body in the shape that I wanted it to be. And when I fell because by the time they dropped me, it's so fast. You can't think about it. Yeah. <laughs> she was like that for really high up. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just this little like, it's like a rinky dinky that would get released and dump her. Yeah. And she oh would just free fall into pads, big pads, but yeah. yeah. My mom was there that day. She really enjoyed watching that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Explain the socks. The socks are awesome. <laughs> you know, you, like you have to go out in style. <laughs> I think also by that point, by that point, Tree's just having fun. And that's, yeah. I think, the biggest thing that I, I, the reason I was so happy we got to go back and add that and add the wood chipper and add a couple other things is because. By that point, she's just having a good time. We've earned it. Yeah. I think we've earned kind of some of the campiness and the kookiness and how bright and poppy it is. Yeah. As an audience member, it's amazing to watch, too. That montage is just the best. It was fun. We wanted to do more. I had more. He had had a really good one that I don't want to 
talk about it in case. Yeah, save it for three. Yeah, I don't know. The Western, three. yeah. Probably yeah. not. The Western, exactly. Yeah. Well, you still got a couple <laughs> days. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Shoot it now. <laughs> but making these movies puts you in a really weird <laughs> mindset because you like go around, like you'll be at your grocery store and you'll be like, oh, wait, she could die like that. <laughs> <laughs> You're always doing shit like that. You're just, and it's morbid. I'll be with my like son, my little son, and they'll be like thinking about how people can die. <laughs> <laughs> well, what everybody has to do then is is go out and see Happy Death Day to you in theaters everywhere February 13th. And afterwards, you can do it. Lauren and I did this once. You can have an after party if you're in the LA area. You take yourself to Corky's Restaurant in Van Nuys where they actually shot some of the first movie. We're actually such Happy Death Day nerds. We went there That's amazing. for dinner with the kids and we were like, this is amazing. Because I think everything else is in New Orleans, correct? Um, yeah. Except yeah. for oh, we had part some... of the very first death scene. We did some UCLA stuff yeah, we oh, cool. in the first movie. Which is also funny because now they claim that we shot the movie there like it was on their website oh that's oh, funny yeah. <laughs> we, technically we, we technically did, did but it's it's mostly at Loyola, Loyola in right. New Orleans also I'm reminding people to stay through the credits yes please well and also stay through the credits because Lizzo and if you don't know who she is look her up Lizzo did an incredible incredible cover for our credit sequence the song is amazing it's one of my favorite things in the world now I just listened to it on repeat and she's fierce and amazing so many reasons to stay. Awesome, you guys. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. That was so fun, guys. Thank you. Yay. Ew. Who are these people? Call me as soon as you're done with your creepy little Comic-Con meeting. That was the Voo Crew Podcast, episode 33. Special thanks to Universal Pictures, Blumhouse, and our guests, Christopher Landon and Jessica Roth. Follow them at Jessica underscore Roth with an E and at the Chris Landon on Instagram. See Happy Death Day to you in theaters everywhere on the 13th. Makes an amazing Valentine's Date movie. See it a few times. There's so many cool things that you're going to miss the first viewing. The movie and franchise are so fun. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a quick review and rating over on iTunes. It really helps the show and we appreciate it so much. Till next time, Trev for the Boo Crew saying see you on the other side. Bye! Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shan, Austin Wilkin and Rachel Tejada. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shen, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shen. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation. It's time for this boogeyman to boogie.